You're listening to Return Again, where we look at Aliyah through the lens of Olim who have lived in Israel long enough to have perspective. I'm Goel Jasper, and my guest today is Eric Esses. Today's interview is a little different because Eric and I got into things in a pretty deep and meaningful way. The interview itself is about two and a half hours, so we're going to divide it into two sections. The first section I'm going to post today, so it's here for you to enjoy, and then I'll post the second segment in a couple of days. So uh, by the end of the week, you should have the entire interview. But for now, let's listen to the first half of my fascinating interview with Eric Esses, who grew up in Houston, Texas, and is now living in Neve Daniel. Enjoy. Eric, thank you very much for inviting me into your home, or uh, responding to me inviting myself into your home, uh, so we can we can hear your story. I really appreciate it. A pleasure. It's nice to meet you, Goel, and uh, I wish you a lot of success with all that you're doing. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Same. Same with you. Um, we're in in some ways we're in the same boat. We're trying to do what we can to help this country grow and prosper. Right. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> so. Let's go into your history a little bit. What, what's the first time you remember a sort of idea of Aliyah? I would say the first time the concept of living here in Israel struck me was when I was on a teen tour uh, sponsored by the Houston Jewish Federation in Houston, Texas, uh, that my older brother had been on two years before, and my parents basically forced him to go. He wasn't... Hmm utterly excited to go in advance, but he came back really, really pumped and excited about everything that Israel was. And so by the time I was to uh, travel on this program, it was, I was, it was a done deal. I knew I was going to go. And um, it was a great experience. I think for six weeks we traveled around the country, and I really was enamored with everything that I was seeing, and it was just fun to be away from home, and there were some <laughs> difficulties going on at home at exactly that time, and I was 17 years old, and this was like heaven, and there were beaches, and there were boys and girls, and everybody was having a great time. And on a Friday afternoon, our tour guide, who was a man named, is a man named Joel Greenberg, I believe, um, stopped off at, in and around uh, Tel Aviv University, and said, listen guys, Shabbat Shalom, I need to go back to uh, what I do you know, over the weekend. I'm not going to be with you guys, but enjoy yourself. And he mentioned, he said, by the way, uh, there's an opportunity for people like yourselves to study in college, junior year abroad, taking classes in English at the universities in Israel. And that was a moment where I was all of a sudden thinking, wait a minute, I have, there's a there's a, a potential to continue this journey. I had, prior to that, I had no concept of coming back or doing anything else because it seemed like it was a teen tour, and once the teen tour is over, you're done. Right. And this was the, an opening that uh, allowed me to uh, you know, pursue the idea of coming back to Israel. Um, 
After that trip, as a senior in high school, I enrolled at the JCC for Hebrew classes. Mind you, I'd gone to Hebrew school and so on and not learned all that so, much. So, so when, when you were a kid, yep. it's not like you like had no Jewish identity or anything no. like that. You, we, were, we were, I would say, good conservative Jews. Okay. Uh, we went to shul as much as our you know, parents and father could uh, make it happen. Uh, right. Sometimes my brother and I, when we were young, we would, we would imitate being at shul earlier <laughs> in the morning so we could tell them that we were already done with shul. But nevertheless, we, we went. We went to Hebrew school, uh, like a good portion of American Jews, yeah. um, and certainly you know, made good friends, had a lot of Jewish friends, uh, went to a high school that was very heavily Jewish, where they actually taught Hebrew. I didn't take it, but... They taught it was Hebrew there. a public there. school where they taught it was Hebrew. A public school where they taught wow. Hebrew and Russian, and this is in <coughs> Texas, mind you. Wow. Uh, but it was a magnet school that allowed uh, people from all over to come if they had specific interests. But we were zoned to that area. Yeah. Um, in any event, being Jewish and, and living in a Jewish community, having Jewish friends was was absolutely the norm uh, where I grew up and how I grew up. Uh, but Israel really wasn't on the map, and not all of my peers went on this. You know what was called the the Houston pilgrimage, uh, you know, to Israel, the summer tour to Israel. A lot did. It was probably eighty people, maybe more. I don't remember. So Israel wasn't so much in the forefront. Being Jewish and having Jewish friends and and within the community was, and you know, we were we kept kosher, Shabbat uh, lighting candles and so on. But you know, there was a there was a limit to what we did and invested as well. So when when you were a kid. I don't know if you can even remember back this far, but what did you think of those who lived in Israel? Like when you came here when you were 17, was it like, I'm sorry to say it this way, but like was it like going to the zoo and seeing these like Jews in their natural habitat? Like what did it, what was the concept of Israel like for you? I don't know. I don't think I had a preconception except for two things. One, I vaguely remember... Um, being in Shul Yom Kippur in 1973 and things sort of like, whatever. Apparently there was a war and things were going on. It wasn't so pleasant for Jews and you had to pray for Israel. Um, and I remember, like I mentioned before, that my brother had an unbelievable time and it was utterly unexpected. And so like that for me was, okay, he didn't have uh, any expectations whatsoever that this would be fun or rewarding because... We've been to Jewish, you know, we've been to Hebrew school, we've been to shul, and that's not always that much fun, and he came back <laughs> raving. So that, that was what I went in with, um, and being here during that time and just seeing the, the, the physical nature of the country, having, you know, seeing the archaeology, experiencing the history does for a lot of people what it also did for me, which was help open my eyes and my mind to... A world that I did not know existed. It didn't help. It didn't hurt that it was, you know, halfway across the world, and it was world travel, and it was very exotic, and and that was the first time really that I'd been certainly on an international flight. Right, so all right. those things wrapped up in one made the entire experience very exotic, and it was also because of that that I enrolled in that Hebrew class at the JCC because I felt Hebrew was very exotic, and I wanted to learn some Hebrew, and I was fascinated by you know trying to learn a little bit more. And so, on my own accord, I went and, you know, went to one of these classes. Um, after I graduated high school, I went to the University of Texas mm -hmm. in Austin, and I pledged a fraternity there, ZBT, a Jewish fraternity, a mostly Jewish fraternity, and um, it was a very cool fraternity, 
and I had registered for a Hebrew class. And so I went into the Hebrew class 101, first day at the University of Texas, whatever that was, and I saw there a fraternity brother um, who happens now to be a rabbi in Beit Shemesh named Rabbi Michael Citron, you might know him. No, I don't know that. Okay, know. but he's uh, down there. And we sort of looked at each other and we're like, what are you doing here? What are you <laughs> doing? Um, I explained to him that I'd been on the Houston pilgrimage two years before and that I was intrigued by this idea of returning junior abroad to study for, an year, for a year in Israel in order to find out what it's like to live here. Really? Okay, that was, that the, was that what was you the, had in mind? Yes, that was the, that was the idea. And he said, that's very interesting because he's from San Antonio and he went the year after I did to the Houston pilgrimage huh. and he came back and he decided that he also wanted to study um, abroad junior year in Israel. And I was like, that's great. We'll go to Tel Aviv University. And he's like, I'd prefer Hebrew University. <laughs> and after, once we got to that stage, which is skipping a bit of time, but once we got to that stage of applying, I had a conversation with my father and my father said, listen, Tel Aviv is a great city, it's very unique, but there's a hundred Tel Avivs around the world and there's only one Jerusalem. So I would suggest if you had a choice and you don't have a strong preference one way or the other, go to Hebrew. And that experience utterly changed my life. Okay, so we'll get there. Okay. I want to hear a little bit more about, about any recollection you have of your brother's return after his trip. He, he had a great time. Okay. Did he change anything about how he behaved? Did, did he show you things and pictures or, or tell you stories? Like, what was it about his trip, other than the fact that he had a blast, that might have stayed with you after he returned? I don't remember specific things from his return and, and why. It was just the overall impression that he really enjoyed it. Um, I do remember once when we were with a friend of his, uh, a Mexican-American guy, uh, not Jewish, who had heard that I was going to go to Israel. And he asked, why would you do that? Why on earth would you do that? And my brother chimed in and said, you don't understand. The sky is blue, the beaches are beautiful, the place is wild, it's unbelievable, and, you're, and you just have to go and see it for yourself. And right. so that was sort of, his takeaway was, this was a, a really unique and exciting place to be in, and I should for sure go, and it shouldn't be a decision. Your parents forced your brother to go, That's so what speak. I remember. They, yeah. they really were, were insistent that he would go. Um, you know, it's summertime, so you think you might miss something. Not all your friends are going. Some of your best friends maybe weren't going. I don't know exactly what happened in that particular uh, trip, but I knew it from my own. There weren't you were going with people that were new to your to your world, and right. so there was that element of like, wait a minute, who am I going to meet? Am I going to have fun? Is it going to be you know, I'd have to meet new people and you know, break out of your your shell or your comfort zone in order to, to, to go through that process and you're going to be gone for six weeks and we, we weren't a camp family that, uh, <laughs> that did that sort of thing. So it was, it, was, uh, it was a very different summer than our summers prior to that. Your parents had been to Israel before? Uh, my parents had not been to Israel before. Wow. They had not been to Israel before. What an incredible gift they gave you guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. That was uh, an investment because it cost a few thousand dollars, sure. I would imagine. Um, and they saw it as a uh, as a way to you know to uh, solidify, I suppose, a Jewish identity and ensure that we're having experiences that widen our horizons. They were very much invested in that that uh, that sort of thing. 
So what kinds of things did you do during that six-week trip? We saw the entire country from top to bottom, uh, including, you know, being loaded on some truck that <laughs> was not a bus, but it was an outdoor vehicle of sorts that could take, you know, 40 people on it. Driving into the middle of the desert, camping, trying to cook it, you know, when it's pitch black outside. Uh, it wasn't the desert experience, the Bedouin experience that is, you know, the birthright and others uh, right. do today. As it was more than that. It was a few nights out and it was literally in the middle of nowhere. I do remember specifically seeing fighter jets flying overhead and in the distance we saw the horizon light up when they were practice bombing. That was pretty cool. Um, and we kind of liked that as guys, thought that was, that was pretty cool. We saw Jerusalem. We were, you know, uh, in Haifa. We literally, six weeks, you have a lot of time. You can see a lot of the country. You stay in different places. Every place uh, was more gorgeous than the next. Of course, you're staying at hotels or kibbutz hotels, and there's pool, and it's fun, and you're getting food, and it's fantastic, and there's nothing, there's nothing negative about the experience at all. It was really a fantastic time. It was not a religious experience? Um, I, I don't mean that colloquially. I mean, like, our, it didn't have a religious perspective. No, it was a pluralistic community yeah. program. It wasn't a, a religious program. Uh, you know, I'm sure we went to the hotel on Friday night. That didn't stick with me as anything particular, but I'm sure we did because we, you know, we were staying uh, at uh, what is now the Dan Panorama mm -hmm. uh, on uh, Karen Ayasod Street, and um, that was a lovely trip. It was. It was all good. It was literally that was uh, unbelievable experience to go through it at 17 years old. Right, right. So 17, you're, that's after your junior year? Right. Okay. So you're thinking in the back of your mind, maybe there's something long-term for me to this Israel thing. And uh, I guess uh, Joel Greenberg, is that the name you said? So, yeah. Um, you have him to thank for, for that uh, bug that was put in, into your mind. Right. Um, but then you just go back to school for your senior year and it stayed with you, this whole thing of going to Israel for... Uh... It absolutely stayed with me. Um, it became a focal point of my Jewish identity. Even though I wasn't so involved, you know, I mean, we were pledging a fraternity. So like, you know, we had, it was a Jewish fraternity, Jewish friends and so on. Uh, and like I said, I met my friend Michael Citron in, in Hebrew class. And so we sort of, once that, once that mifgash, once that meeting happened, we were sort of like, okay, fine. We sort of made an agreement that we should do this and put it aside and started enjoying campus life as, as it's otherwise known. And we would revisit that at the time that it needed to be revisited. Um, that time came relatively, you know, soon after, I guess after, you know, in your sophomore year at some point, you have to start thinking about these things. And it's, of course, it's all paperwork. So you just apply and, well, you get accepted, great. There's not a whole lot of obligations. You don't have to do anything. I definitely remember by the time I went on that plane from New York um, to, to Israel for Hebrew U, thinking, what am I doing? This is the dumbest decision I've ever made. Why? I was leaving an incredibly fun life. Yeah, as you, a, University as of a, Texas at Austin. Yeah, not mean, a bad place to be. You can't beat it. Like You can, actually, <laughs> here, but you can, it's kind of hard to beat over there. Yeah. Um, I was, you know, you're, a, you're going into your junior year. You are not a freshman who knows nothing and was being uh, uh, hazed at the fraternity. 
Uh, you're not a sophomore who's trying to, you know, take some steps towards something grand, bigger than just, you know, surviving school. You're a junior, and you're not a senior, so you don't have to worry about work yet. You're a junior. <laughs> you're at the top of your, you're the prime of everything that you ever, you know, imagined for yourself in college. Um, and, you know, the fraternity there, to their credit, they like to party and they like to, you know, make sure that every weekend things were going on. And you had a busy social life, um, a lot of good friends. And I just thought to myself, why, why would I, what am I doing? I literally remember being on the plane thinking this is absolutely the dumbest decision I've made. Um, there was a woman sitting next to me, coffee got spilled on my relatively decent pants that I was wearing. <laughs> there was going to be my Shabbat you know, whatever clothes as well. I was, this is just a disaster. On the plane, we saw that there were a lot of people who did know each other already. Mm -hmm. So it was like this camp, re, you know, reunion on the plane, which meant that, well, I didn't know any of these people. you were people. outside of that group. And it was yeah. hard, it was going to be hard to break into this clique. And literally up until the time we drove up to the campus of Hebrew I was thinking this was a bad mistake. And then we saw one guy who was a fraternity brother at University of Texas also and he happened he was Israeli and he happened to spend the summer at Hebrew U and we saw him walking down the street and I don't know from that moment on I was just like okay you know what this is going to be fine and and that and it was of course fine it was more than fine it was a lot of fun hold on a second so how many of your fraternity brothers from the University of Texas wound up in Israel I understand I, he was Israeli, fine, but like, what's I don't he know doing? If he ended up in Israel. Maybe I should interview him about why was he in Texas. He studied, <laughs> he, you know. His fam I guess his family uh, moved to Houston, and he was he was an Israeli, you know. But I, as far as I know, he only came for that summer. I don't know. Fortuitous that he would uh, that he would be there right when you uh, right when you arrived. Do you think uh, there was some kind of higher power at play there? Uh, I I don't know. But then again, yeah, if. Uh, if there's no such thing as chance, and uh, there is a reason. Maybe we would have seen him later on, but uh, we knew he was there. And uh, we saw him before we even got off the bus. So that was kind of <laughs> reassuring in its, own, in its own special way. Yeah. So what was it like there? Let the listeners understand. What was, uh, what was the year like? Um, Hebrew U was one of the formative years of, my, years of my life, one of the formative experiences of my life. Um, it was there that, um, uh, you know, obviously first time being in Israel for a long period of time, uh, the, the university and the student association uh, made sure that the Chulnikim, uh, the, you know, the, the people who were studying abroad, had a lot of activities um, to do in order to see the country, get to know the country, hike the country. We took unbelievable hikes that still resonate with me today, still, still remember some of them. Um, and we did it, obviously, as a, you know, a group of people who are all uh, here for a year. So we had to build our own community, and we really liked each other and got along very well. And um, what we were learning about Israel was fascinating. The Hebrew we were trying to eke out was at least had the advantage of being used on the street immediately if necessary in order to get somewhere on a bus or to uh, have a falafel or whatnot. Um, and overall, it was simply a fantastic experience. It also allowed um, for during the breaks to travel to Greece, to Turkey after the year. I met my brother and we traveled through Europe. All these things would never, never have been 
never happened had I stayed that junior year at the University of Texas. So it was a win-win-win on all levels. And beyond that, I think that was a, a year in which I realized, and it's good to realize this in different parts of your life, I think, that um, you can do with less. You can, you can actually, you know, you don't need so much stuff. You don't need um, so much uh, material goods to be happy. Uh, you, can, you, you don't need the latest gadgets and so on and so forth. You can actually be quite happy amongst friends who are of the same mind and having, you know, having fun and, and, and doing what we did as, as young people. And it was better than any party, and it was better than any, um, you know, any other experience that I'd had up to that point. And that included also um, learning about Shabbat in a, in a youth atmosphere as opposed to in the family home, um, where our Shabbat meals and stuff were usually, you know, just, just us, just the four of us, the family. Uh, which is fine, of course, but uh, sure. it doesn't didn't much go beyond that. It wasn't like we were inviting neighbors down the street and so on. And here, all of a sudden, we had to uh, we were joining friends who knew more about Shabbat, and and we were doing Shabbat together, and then soon doing Shabbat, you know, and helping organize and whatnot. But you have the opportunity to sit with friends on a Friday night, and nothing else is going to happen, and there's nowhere else to go. And it was revolutionary in the sense of like, wow, this this is a lot of fun. Like, why why do you need to go somewhere and to so-called you know quote unquote do something <laughs> when you can hang out with friends and have some wine and have some great food and talk and talk about meaningful things and talk about less meaningful things, but nevertheless just uh, experience um, a being as opposed to doing, and that I think was was a first um, for me uh, in my life to really understand that Shabbat was was fun. It was just a lot of fun. Actually. So, so growing up, you were you were always looking to do, like you were always out there doing things, very active. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you seem like a pretty laid back guy. Yeah, That's no, I'm a pretty laid back guy. There's no doubt. <laughs> but I did. I I I I wasn't always looking for action. I'm not like an extreme sportist or something like that. <laughs> but I like I like doing things and keeping busy. That's for sure. And on Shabbat, why wouldn't you? Like, what? What are you? Of course, you're going to watch television, and you're going to play uh, football with the friends, and you're going to do all the things that you would normally do. Right. But um, this was the first time in sort of young adult life where uh, the other options usually were social options at some sort of parties right. that the fraternity threw or something like that, and they weren't, you know, sitting down with friends, knowing that you're not going to go to anywhere or bar or something like that or restaurant that you know you're not going going to go to a party that there's nothing else to do except for just be there and talk and hang out and have fun so how big was this group was it a consistent group week after week or some people joined left that kind of thing I, was there a core there was definitely a core uh and a bunch of those people live in israel today too mm. um and they um really helped make the experience what it was. Uh, you know, it could have been a core of, uh, in terms of, you know, guys or whatever, I don't know, five to seven, probably like seven people right. or so. And then, of course, there were there were girls and whatever. It was a really, really exciting experience overall to, to just do that. Obviously, Shabbat was once every week, so it wasn't the entire thing. There were a lot of other uh, fun things that we did 
you know, as a group of guys, uh, you know, eating almost every day in the same exact cafeteria with the same exact schnitzel and food, and it was just <laughs> absurd. But uh, but we always had a lot of fun doing that, and it became part of our, our ritual and what we were doing, and whatever. The whole experience in total was amazing, everything that came with it, um, and it's really sort of because of that that I uh, got into the work that I do still today. So we'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, I want to understand a little bit more. You said it was one of the formative years of your life. Um, Shabbat, obviously, uh, was significant. What about the rest of your time? What about classes? What about all these hikes and, and other excursions and just being in Israel, walking around? You know, sure. talk, talk through a little bit of that if you can. We had classes every day. They brought us, they gave us a... a uh, an insight into Israeli history, into um, into some of the decisions that you know impact Israel over the course of the years, the founding of the state, through the wars, and so on. Um, that was interesting. We had great teachers as well, who you know have since become uh, you know parshanim and commentators on television, and so on and so forth. And you know they're they're professors of Hebrew, so they're not sure. uh, they're not schleppers, but right. Um, <laughs> And uh, they, you know, they gave over what they knew and what they know about Israel. But like I said, the, the, I said the more exciting parts were really the hikes. We, we traveled throughout Israel. We took multiple day hikes with people who were excellent tour guides and who knew the country backwards and forwards, who simply, you know, pushed us, you know, to not to our limits, but certainly pushed us beyond what we thought was possible. And yeah. we're you know we're in Israel. We have no worries in the world. We're being led. We're being fed, and we're amongst people that uh, you know we're really in a happy and good place. You know, uh, socially and 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 and, and who's, who they were as people. So it it simply couldn't go wrong. It didn't <laughs> go wrong. It was really positive. You said you remember some of the hikes, so let's he- let's hear about one of them. Uh, I, I, actually, I will. There's one that uh, I I remember. I remember lo- feeling like Gan Eden, like paradise. Something. Where is that? I'd I'd like to have that in my house if possible, or at least a little slice of it. It was so incredibly um, shaded and gorgeous and cold water uh, that it really it really made an impact on me. It was. Part of the sea to sea hike from uh, from uh, near Achziv to uh, the Sea of Galilee, right? Um, which is a three day hike, so that was a lot of fun, and not easy. No, we, not easy at we, all. We came to Tiberias with very sore legs, and it was Yomatz when we were there, and we we could almost not care because we were so <laughs> tired and pain, pained in our legs, but still we walked around and had a great time. But um, years and years later. Um, my family and I were up north near Oxyve, which we go to pretty much every summer, um, to camp there. And uh, we took uh, we took a hike to a place called Nacho Oxyv. Right. And lo and behold, I have like a full on like deja vu. Like I, I've been, this is it. Wow. This is it. It is. If anyone hasn't been there, they should absolutely go there. You can hike from. Um, uh, from from one of the 
most beautiful spots where literally water comes out of the rock, just as like it says in the Torah. <laughs> and usually it's in the summer. That parasha was almost always there when we're camping, and there's the parasha, and here's like you know water from the from the mountain itself, which is icy cold, um, and it just flows all year long. And there are pools that you can jump in, and there is a long shaded water walk of icy cold water that whenever you're too hot, you can get in. You can get in the water, and no matter how hot it is, you can do that hike, and it is just lovely, and like I said, almost paradise. So that one <laughs> stuck with me. Yeah, I had to refind it, but there are others. I don't remember <laughs> so many details, but certainly in the Machtashim down south in the desert where we, where we hiked a lot uh, that were spectacular in and around Eilat. I don't I haven't been there in enough right. time to conjure them up, though. Yeah, so we'll talk about family later, but just one question about your family at this point. When when you were able to show them this little gun Aden of yours, what right. what went through your mind? How did it make you feel? And and did they care so much? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, obviously, it's a lot of fun to show my family what I love about Israel, and um, you can't unless you. I don't know. It's hard not to love this place. Like it takes a little effort to get down there. That part you could not like, but uh, <laughs> once you're in it, there's nothing not to love. And um, you know, we've done it several times uh, you know, since. Uh, it's always on the agenda if we go up there. Sometimes it gets done, sometimes not. And uh, they definitely uh, love it. And uh, Do they know, like, this is Abba's place? No, but this is, okay. like, the, 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 I think the whole country is something that the, 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 our children, thankfully, have, have really, you know, appreciated through the hikes that we do and the travel that we do and, and showing the, the beauty and and seeing the sights and, and just being and seeing because uh, it's a spectacular country. How, I, don't, I don't understand, I literally do not understand people who cannot see the absolute stunning geographic <laughs> beauty and diversity that Israel offers. It is, it is absolutely stunning and I don't understand uh, people who have very thick curtains and, and never the window open and never a view and don't go out and see the country and be in the country because you're missing out. I mean, it is the land, you know, it is it's the land of milk and honey. This is what Hashem promised us and here we are. Uh, and that's a remarkable thing. Absolutely. I was, um, maybe it's not connected to this, but I was thinking this morning that one of the, one of the aspects of, of, the world that seems to be, and we're about to read it, you know, in times of uh, Simchat Torah, and all, in Kohelet it says, you know, Ein, ein tachat Hashem, it's like there's right. nothing new under the sun. The return of Jews to Israel after, after nearly 2,000 years is about as new as you can get, about as revolutionary as you can get. And in a world that feels static sometimes, that there's no change, that there's no, you know, kvitzah, that there's no jump to another level, you have... We have, thankfully, in front of us that we're, that we're in and other people can, you know, know about, learn about and come and join as well, um, to be a part of something literally where there's like a quantum leap to a whole different reality, a whole different reality that both obviously compared to the years a little bit prior to the establishment of the state of Israel is, is 180 degrees different, <laughs> That's right. but even... In the hopes and, 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 and dreams of forefathers and, and just for many, many years, here we have a moment in time in which things have literally changed dramatically for the better. And I, it's hard to understand also for me, people who say, yeah, whatever, not, I'd prefer 
everything I know and everything that remains as is because there's really nothing new under the sun. And right. I, 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 I can't agree with that because I think there is something beautiful here. It's up to us to make it into the best possible place. But right. Right. we're given the opportunity at least, which is more than what other generations could say. No question. Was there a moment in time or, or, or was it just a sort of like general great year that made you say, hey, maybe I should think about this in a different kind of way? Right. So my goal in coming to, to Israel as a, as a um, student for junior year abroad um, was to find out what it's like to live here. That was sort of the, the thing that stuck with me from my teen tour. Um, throughout the experience which we were in which we were having so much fun uh, it became pretty clear to me that this can't be real this can't be real life so to speak and right. you see people living real life and they have an apartment and they work and they have kids and I don't know, whatever they do all the things that they do and we weren't doing that we were in a little bubble um, a very fun bubble <laughs> and one that was very privileged in, in the ability to go out and do and come back and things were done for us or we would just pick up some, you know, bread, takeout food or what have you and it was done. Like there wasn't a lot of cleaning of rooms going on and things like that. <laughs> um, so it became obvious that I needed to come back uh, to live here in order to find out what it's like to live here. So I love that idea. <laughs> that was simply, that was simply, it made sense to me that that's where uh, that needed to be done. And so it was... After that year, and pretty much, I don't know exactly when during the year that, that came to me, but I, I definitely remember uh, after the year um, when I came home, right. right, and my mom had picked me up from the airport, and like, a, you know, it's uh, maybe embellished or not embellished, but right. whatever, there was, a, there was a scene that sort of struck to me, and I've told the story in the past, so this is how it still is remember in my mind, that we were driving on the freeway, and I told my mom, I broke it to my mother that uh, that uh, I wanted to um, to go and live in Israel, or try and live in Israel. And she slammed on the brakes, and the the arm went across where the seatbelt may or may not have been. I don't know. Um, and 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 stopped the car, and and looked at me squarely in the face, and she said, "Eric, I sent you there to study. I did not send you there to live." And I said, "Mom, we're on the freeway." You can't. We gotta have this conversation a little bit later. Um, I don't know if we were actually on the freeway or came to a full stop. I don't remember the full details, but there was something like that that went on for sure. That it was like, wait a minute. I think she realized that that meant, wait a minute. This was not part of the deal. Had I known, no way, whatever. But um, you know, I think that uh, once I was back and I began taking Hebrew classes on my. Oh no, that was uh, uh, continued Hebrew classes at at Hebrew Hebrew U. Once I was back, I think my parents were like, "Well, you know what? Let's see. Mm-hmm. You're gonna tell a you're gonna tell a 20 year old, 21 year old what to do. You know what? Let's see. Bonire. You know, we'll see how things go. You have to get it. You have to finish school. You have to get a job. Maybe meet some woman. Uh, who knows? Right. So I don't think there was a lot of um, pushing one way or the other. I think it was it was sort of a question of like, let's see what happens. Um, what happened is that I came here to live. At some point, right. So we'll we'll, we'll get to that. Um, so you go. You're back in in Austin for your senior year of college, right? And uh, you're in Israeli mode uh, during that year, or you're back having a great time in the fraternity. Honestly, I was not. Not I, which not I was which. not in Israeli mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did not rejoin the fraternity, 
but um, and that's a separate uh, item which I'll get to in a second, but I think the Israeli mode is something interesting because I did have friends who had been to Israel, you know, on short-term trips, and, and they switched to Israeli mode. Really? But they switched out of it relative, relatively quickly as well. And I think the reason why is because we're not, not, we're not Sabra, you know, native-born Israelis. So it's very hard to be Israeli if you're not Israeli. So and you're saying they, they went back to the States, total Israeli-style attitude and everything, and then back to normal after a little while. It's very hard... To be a fish out of water, so to speak, and sure. that's that's what it was. And you're not a real fish yet, <laughs> you know. So I think that there there is a there is a there is a love of Israel that some people take back with them, and you know everything is I don't know sababa and and hummus and sabich and so on and so <laughs> forth. I'm just talking in today's youth's term. Yeah, um, and they love Israel, but it's very hard to keep that up because you have friends who have no idea what you're talking about, and they might be, you know, your best friends. Um, and you have other people who's like, hey, uh, we're going to a football game today. What, how, how are you going to, what are you going to remain? You're going to dream about, you know, I don't know, soccer or, I don't know, playing matkot <laughs> on the beach as opposed to go to the football game? Let's go to the football game. So the culture takes over. Yeah. And I think that, and, and I always, you know, my approach that I can recall was always one in which of, of um, I have to be myself. I can't be somebody else. And I just saw this. On Etsy the other day, some some sign that I thought was actually brilliant, like and sort of live your own life. Everybody else's is taken, and that's <laughs> sort of the you know. I'm not sure I went exactly with that uh, thing. So obviously influenced by all sorts of things happening in my life amongst friends and so on in the culture. But right. the idea is that you know I I, I can't pull that off because I'm not Israeli, so I'm not going to act more Israeli than I am. I'm going to learn Hebrew in, in university. I'm going to continue that. I'm going to stay involved i'm going to uh, uh do things that allow me to to stay connected so what did you do the first thing i did was to not rejoin the fraternity because i realized that you know if uh, uh shabbat was going to be something that i was interested in it just didn't work with the whole fraternity world and um i was lucky enough to live with uh, three other friends two of which were in the fraternity one also dropped out of the fraternity in a house uh in austin that uh, really allowed us to live our own lives and have people over and so on and so forth. And, and we had, you know, not that we were religious per se, or, you know, that not all of us, that's for sure. Um, we were able to have Shabbat dinners and everybody had a great time before they went out. Mm-hmm. And we had, we established a community of people that, did, that were having a lot of fun, regardless of not having to be a part of the, 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 the fraternity to make, to set up fun for us. Um, and during that year, and this was a big chidush for me, was that I realized that the university itself offers, you know, through its different student clubs and student organizations and it itself, the facilities, offers a, a gigantic array that, of, of activities, of, of, of things to do, that, um, of organizations that I never, during, during the two years prior, had never uh, investigated in at all, which was terrible, or invested in at all. Um, and so I sort of threw myself into that. And the, the, the key was that there was, um, that there was the, a Hillel on campus, of course, and there were people there who had, um, have, you know, manning, staffing, teaming the Israel group. And part of that Israel group was, was uh, one in which was associated with the student department of AZYF, 
that existed back in the day that did promotion of Israel programs uh, amongst college students. So that really struck a chord with me because I realized I, I, it was very clear to me after my experience that everyone, as many people as possible, need to have a similar experience in Israel. Mm-hmm. And if they want to go elsewhere, it's even good for them as well because, you know what, it's, it's still good to get out of the, the, the college bubble and see something else. But obviously the, the goal was to, to get people to Israel. So I worked very hard uh, and loved all the work of tabling and meeting people and, and talking to them about my experience and trying to encourage them to, to take a year off or a semester off or a summer off or a summer semester and go to Israel and experience it for themselves. Um, and that really became sort of the, the, the guiding you know, uh, mission of, of what I believe in and what I do. Uh, AZYF. Right. What is it? American Zionist Youth Foundation. It was, uh, you know, a a massive donor, sort of donor, world Zionist organization slash Jewish agency funded, um, you know, body that encouraged people to go on teen tours, on, uh, on college programs, Israel focused, all um, Israel focused. Israel focused, and and perhaps there was other stuff. I, I mean, I worked in just the student department of it. I have no idea what everybody else did. We were quite focused on what we like to do, and of course, everything else seemed boring compared to that because we were actually so, in touch with students and trying to get them to Israel. So you wound up working there. So after, so part of the the very tail end of Hebrew U, uh, a man named Stuart Schnee who lives in Beit Shemesh, came down. I know him well, great guy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he came to speak to our our outgoing Hebrew U class, or you know, one year program class, not just Hebrew U, but everybody. And he said that the, he he ran this national organization that helped get people to Israel, like on the programs we were on, and that they had student representatives on campuses. And if we wanted to, we could become student representatives on campus and help get people to Israel. But he said it in the most entertaining and funny way possible that <laughs> all I kept thinking is, my God, you're a stand-up comedian and I want I want your job at some point in my life. Um, <laughs> He's a really funny guy. Absolutely. <laughs> so as a result of that, uh, I became involved together with my friend uh, Michael uh, in, the, in, the, in the Hillel at the University of Texas. Uh, and there was another guy there named Steve Malik who who, um, who was a president of Hillel, but he's very, I think, very involved in the Israel stuff as well. And he basically helped us cut our teeth on what to do because we're, like I said, we, certainly I, was very new to this, like, well, how do, you can have a table on, how does that work? I mean, I've walked by thousands of them, but never paid attention to, like, why would you do that? Right. So all of a sudden, we're very interested in trying to get people in, involved in Israel, bringing speakers to campus, doing all the things that I'd never done. And I obviously through those experiences, realize, wow, okay, organizing a speaker on campus is kind of exciting. It could be a big success. It could also be a terrible disaster. Like, But you learn through the, you learn practical skills through the, the organizing through, skills through doing that, which made it really exciting and, and gave us, uh, you know, food for thought, gave me food for thought, I think, for the future in terms of what I'd, I'd like to be doing. And as a, as a, I don't know, official or non-official rep of this student department of AZYF, we were out there and I was out there tabling, trying to get people to Israel, um, going into Hebrew classes, speaking about my experience, uh, doing anything possible to help push the, push up the number of people coming to Israel. Um, after graduating, so that was one that was one short and very fantastic year. It really was a, <laughs> it was, a it was another highlight, thankfully, because um, it was just so different than all the other years. 
um, I, I took a job as the Boston Regional Coordinator uh, for uh, the student department of AZYF and moved up to Boston with one of the guys I lived with at, in Austin up until that during that senior year. Yeah, lots of colleges in Boston. A lot of college, very different place. I'd never been to Boston until I drove up there. Um, I saw a burning car on the side of the road <laughs> on the exit to my house. I'm wondering, what. not sure what that means, like the burning bush. Something's going on here that's strange. Um, Wait, did you really think the burning bush? Not really, but uh, now <laughs> I think about it, like, what was that? It was like, how often do you see cars burning on the side of the road? It's not a very normal sight, thankfully. Right. Um, drove straight to the house of my, uh, my friend, uh, Jerry Margolis, who lives in Thailand now. Um, had rented together with another Pricewaterhouse accountant and um, and parked myself there in a little place called Watertown, Massachusetts, which had two Jews in it, myself and my friend Jerry. Um, <laughs> never been there, but it was, you know, a short train ride away from Cambridge and Harvard and Boston, and I had to, like, learn my way around that city uh, and learn my way around a different climate, not only you know, ecological climate, but also a campus climate, sure. which there are a lot of universities, there are a lot of uh, students, a lot of very smart students, a lot of very experienced students, students who came from different uh, different backgrounds, uh, more, you know, educated about Israel, more educated about Judaism, um, and, you know, and, and tens of campuses that I was theoretically supposed to find, you know, student representatives to help do what we're doing. And in the meantime, there are other you know, uh, in a place like that, there are, of course, other uh, Israel organizations out there. They sure. come, you know, from all different political perspectives. There are shlichim there, both for movements and for aliyah. And to navigate my way, to learn it and to navigate through the, all within this, the course of one short academic year, I can't say it was the most exciting or most fun experience I ever had. I was, I think, a little bit overwhelmed. Um, at a small office by myself in a place called the Zionist House, which was on Commonwealth Avenue. Now I know it's a spectacular area, and, and of course it was back then too, but had an old school elevator with a gate that you'd close, and sometimes it'd work and sometimes it wouldn't. I literally had a typewriter to type reports on. It was weird. It was the whole thing, the whole experience was kind of not great, well, um, but it was what it was. You're sort of hinting at, at certain diplomacy elements that maybe weren't so exciting to you. Right. Um, so what happened? Did, were you like, enough of this Israel stuff? Obviously not. Like, what, what happened after that year? It wasn't so much the Israel stuff, but there, there, when, you, when you go on campus and you just have your mission in mind, hey, I want to make sure people get to Israel, you know, there were, there were kochot out there, shlichim and movement people. Where, where, where in Israel? Well, a kibbutz or a university or this or that, and I was sort of like, well, what, what, what do we care? Like, who cares where they go? I went to university. I happen to think it's good. These guys are university students. They get university credit for doing this. It's similar to what they know. There's no indoctrination going on. Like, why, why not that? But, you know, people had other ideas. But even so, you had to work through multiple channels in order to do very simple things. And that sort of right. felt like bureaucracy. And that doesn't speak to me all that much. After UT, where basically it was just like whatever Wide you want to do. The, the, <laughs> the blue seas, so to speak. You want right. to do something, do it. And, of course, um, politically speaking, you know, I grew up in Texas. So I, I think I met more liberal students. Of course, I met some, I guess, at Hebrew University, but even then, obviously, I met a lot more in Boston. And that was, right. I didn't didn't know 
there could sort of be different differing opinions on 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 some uh, what I thought were very fundamental facts of reality right. uh, that were out there. So you had to grapple with that and respect that and understand. Oh, it's a different perspective. I don't agree, or I do agree. What have you? Um, but it it wasn't it wasn't very simple and straightforward. It was it was Boston was not my was not my cup of tea, so to speak. That was not at. Um, I mean, I love the city. We do a lot of work with Boston now, actually. Hmm. Um, but I think that, that that initial experience, that initial foray, and it would have been a, it probably would have been the same in New York or any other big city that I hadn't been to, and they're just sort of overwhelmed by right. all the all the you know organizations and people involved. You're like, it's hard to navigate that. That is not something that you you're used to as a student where you had full autonomy because you're the student at university you can get the tables and you can do whatever you want because you're the student at university here you're not the students so you have to work through other students and they have to work through their own issues and other people and other organizations so in the end it was a, it was a it was more bureaucracy uh, and and it wasn't my favorite job of my life <laughs> so, so where'd you go from there so after that uh, Stu uh, Schnee made Aliyah and I took his job just like I wanted to to begin with, and that was a whole that was a sea change. That was a totally different ball game altogether. Moved to New York. I moved to uh, my uncle was uh, kind enough to host me uh, in his house on in Manhattan Beach, which is the, end, the tail end of Brooklyn, like literally at the water. Uh, and, uh, and the building was on 515 Park Avenue, so I used to uh, commute pretty much every day, which was a pretty long commute, but it was a lot of fun. New York is always fun. And to be in the city was just fantastic. And, um, and uh, you know, we had a staff of two or three people that worked with us there in the national office. And, of course, there were five or six or seven regional coordinators around the country. Um, that, was, that was a whole different experience because we, you know, we relied upon and organized and and build systems for those regional coordinators who were better at reaching out to students than I was um, and and to you know help them organize their efforts so that the process of, of, of publicizing and raising awareness about programs in Israel became easier um, became more uh, more systematized so that more people could ultimately come there was uh, the shaliach of our department, uh, Michael Yankalovich, who lives in Gilo, right. um, with, with much foresight. I believe he was the one who decided to get an 800 number, which was like a revolution. <laughs> people could actually call us from anywhere in the entire country for free and talk to somebody about, uh, about uh, going to Israel. It was sort of a, it was launched as a secret. Like only certain per people should know about this number because you wouldn't want the wrong type of people to get to this number. Right. And I think under my whatever national directorship, I was like, wait a minute, that's. I mean, it's true. It'd be annoying if somebody called, prank call us, or you know, call us and leave the phone off the hook, and an hour's worth of voicemail tape went to waste. Uh, right. That'd all be tragic. But is that really going to happen so often? You know, let's just open it up. Let's just publicize. To have an 800 number was like, you know, that's like having an app. Like, like that's right. 12 years days. ago, it was like, you know, I had the best app ever. I have a toll-free number, and and so what we did is, uh, is you know, to open that up, and to create databases with modern computers, which were the Macintosh back in the day, the small boxy guy, <laughs> um, and I was, you know, able to uh, take some courses on that to learn how to to do it, and there were in-house resources as well who helped. 
And we basically modernized, you know, to, to, in the terms of yesteryear, uh, the process, reaching out to students and, um, and, and getting them to, to help us, you know, do our work, sort of an ambassador program. So we would send once a week, uh, the AZY, if the student department had a deal in which it would get the International Jerusalem Post for free every week, every Friday, which is awesome. And we would send that paper along with, you know, any brochures and pamphlets and ideas and a newsletter that we created once a week to hundreds of student representatives on campus in order wow. to maintain connection with them. They had the 800 number. They could be in touch with their regional coordinators and really try to, to strengthen that network of student activists, student representatives on campus with the same idea of getting as many people to Israel as possible and, of course, bringing speakers to campus about Israel and doing all the activities as well. When you were at the helm, how many students per year were going to Israel through your, through your encouragement and initiatives? Uh, Are we talking it, like hundreds? No. Thousands? Uh, uh, dozens? No, definitely more than dozens. That's <laughs> for sure. I know the, it, it's not like today where you can take out, uh, you know, everybody can put a code on their ads and figure out exactly where we, I have the exact funnel where this human being <laughs> came from and bought my widget. Yeah. That wasn't the case. We had, um, we had a little form that uh, today would be a web form, but it was a little form in which people could fill out on campus and say, I'm interested in this program, that program, and the other program. And then we would send them, we were sort of clearing house for that information. We would send them Hebrew U brochure or what have you. Right. So... I think that, you know, probably AZYF, which was the, the main conduit through which a lot of these organizations relied upon to get information because it was sort of a, a clearinghouse and it wasn't shayach to any particular university or program. They relied upon us a lot to do to, to, to that work. So the student representatives on campus and the, and the regional coordinators who are out there on campus tabling and collecting these forms and sending them back to us in a prepaid envelope so we could put it in the computer and then we could send these people information. I think was a big driver of program participation uh, back in the day. I, d I can't, I don't remember the numbers. Sure. I do know, for example, that the Hebrew U program, the year program and semester program, which used to be so strong back in the, in the, in the late 80s when I was there and into the 90s, has been decimated, not by COVID, but prior to COVID. I don't know exactly what's going on. I don't know exactly how that works, but uh, some of these programs have dropped precipitously in terms of the number of participants on them. And that's a shame because, yeah. Um, yeah, because the experience is still that experience and, and why not have it? I don't think that people are, are learning that much or are enjoying life as much as they could if they did something a little bit differently and a little bit out of the box and leave right. that four-year bubble. They're not going to miss anything. That's, that's <laughs> the one thing I can vouch for. I thought I was going to miss, miss things. I didn't miss it. A thing. The football team wasn't so good when you I were know, here. I like literally, like whatever. <laughs> it was the same stuff every year and again. Yeah. I had. Uh, I remember going back after that year, and I came in the summertime to the fraternity house, and I saw a guy I hadn't seen for an entire year, and he said, "Are you gone for like a couple of weeks or something?" <laughs> and I was a little bit annoyed, and then he asked wow. me a very inappropriate, inappropriate questions that I won't repeat here. Good. But it had to do. Yeah, he was he was more worried than he ought to have been about my personal life. Let's put it like that. Got it. That was his only question to me yeah. after my entire experience. And this one, I sort of felt like that. Oh, okay. I say we're back. Wow. We're back, and I'm yeah, I'm yeah. not in that place anymore. The AZYF position in New York. How long were you in that role, and and what's going on in your mind about moving to Israel while you're in that role? Right. So I think it was three years. Every every year was better than the next. It was really a, than the a, last. Than the right, right exactly. <laughs> than the last one. 
right? Exactly. I would hope. <laughs> no, uh, it was better than the last one, the preceding one. And my thought was, first of all, I was having it was a fantastic experience because I was able to travel all over the United States, you know, flying and meeting people and running conferences and organizing conferences like soon the AZYF moved out of its old building in 515 Park Avenue which I think was around pre-state days like it was it's it's, it's an old wow. Zionist building but it moved to a new place and we had a modern uh, conference facility uh, that sort of looked like the Knesset like you know uh, I don't know how many seats but in that semicircle round yeah. so we moved all of our conferences to New York City which instead of at camps out you know like summer conferences and camps that i went to one as a as a regional coordinator maybe even as a national director once and i'm you know there was a skunk in the room i mean there was all sorts of things and I'm, i didn't i i've been camping but i never went to camp and i felt that it was just too uh, non-professional basically right. for what i saw what these things ought to be it didn't speak to me and so you know through the fortuitous situation in which all of a sudden the organization had a very impressive looking brand new uh, conference center. We decided to run all our conferences through New York. And of course, for students to come to New York City to get subsidized and have a good time there, whether it was, I don't know, it was, I don't think it was so much, maybe it was during winter break or something like that. Right. So everybody wants to come, even though we had summer conferences as well. So people, everybody wants to come to New York. They, you know, the problem is like you have to get them to the actual conference itself. Like you can't just run around and see the sites and have fun. You have to actually come as well. But we had good speakers and 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 a fantastic setup of a program, all of which allowed us basically to what I felt sort of professionalize uh, what we were doing and to convey a much more serious uh, attitude of like this is serious business. We're trying to get people to Israel. My work overall there was a way in which I knew I would be able to keep connection with Israel. I get to go to Israel several times a year, two, at least two times a year. Um, some obviously extend certain times to see whatever, you know, right. see how, how it goes. And, and I was sort of on a maslul uh, track to make Aliyah because that's what national directors did. Uh, Stuart Schnee made Aliyah and the, and the woman, Lisa Barkan, uh, uh, who was the national director prior to Stu, had made Aliyah, and so on. It goes further back, I don't remember well, everybody. Okay. Um, and these people made Aliyah, so it was, that was, I don't know if it was a prerequisite or it was a pretty strong recommendation that that was the case, and I wanted to anyhow, so I felt like, you know, that's fine. And uh, so that was that was my runway, I would say. Yeah, so, so what, you're like 24 by the time you finish your tenure there? 25? I, was 20, I think I was 25, yeah. Okay, yeah. so what, ha- what happens when you're 25? That's it. You the, well, we you moved to Israel. We I the national. I left that position and I went to Israel. I was looking for a job, obviously, because that's the first thing you need, and you need a job, and you need a job, and a job without a job. You're saying in Israel. A job. You're saying in Israel. In Israel, job, of yeah. course. So, so you knew after the three years. Yeah, I was next going. Next step is Israel. I was going. And by that time, the family realized, okay, so, you know, he had put in his time, he had worked in these things, he had kept connections, so it wasn't irrational that he was going, but, right. you know, we'll see. There was still that out there, but nevertheless, <laughs> they, they supported, they're like, okay, yeah, why not? Um, and uh, I had been looking for a job, and of course, within the Israel program world, there were people I knew, which was good, I could work for one of these Israel programs. So there was one of them, uh, called Project Otsma, that said, listen, we have a Madrich position open, You'll be a madrich on Kibbutz Mishmar Hasharon or something like that. There'll be like 40, 50 kids, students on your, on, actually not even students, graduates of college, right. on your kibbutz, and you'll be the madrich. 
and we're starting in beginning of August or something like that. And I was like, those, that date doesn't serve me well. And I was incredibly torn because Wait, I wanted... didn't serve you well? The date, the start oh, the date. specific date. Okay. I had planned to make Ali at the end of August. We had right. a family vacation planned in Colorado. And it was a big, it was a big decision to say, I'm not going to take that job because I want to go to Colorado with my family. I don't want to just grab anything. Just, I don't want to be desperate. I'm going to forego that position and I'm going to Colorado and I'm going to make Aliyah. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm kind of making Aliyah. So I don't, I don't really want to do it, you know, on somebody else's terms. I right. want to do it on my terms. So I, I, I skipped it and, um, and I went a month later. I made Ali. Actually, technically, I didn't make Ali, but I, I moved to Israel with the intention of making. I didn't change my status at that point. Um, and I came to Israel, and I went to Ulpan, and that was the right move. Hmm. I'm very happy I didn't have, didn't get the job because, of course, while there was an Ulpan on that kibbutz program, obviously I'm a madrich. I have other responsibilities, and you know, you're with the student, or you're with the participants themselves. It didn't really feel right. So I actually lived with um, with uh, with a friend's uh, husband. They had just they were going to get married uh, on uh, in the middle of Jerusalem and near Talbia, near the Jerusalem Theater, in a wonderful apartment. Wow, um, great area! It was absolutely <laughs> great area. And walked through Ulpan every day uh, in the city center, and that was a very important experience there. That's where Hebrew became serious where the class was filled with Russians, with, you know, uh, Portuguese, the whole world, including Israeli Arabs, everybody trying to figure out how to speak this language. We had wonderful teachers, um, and they really pushed everybody. And you had, didn't have much choice because there were, there were enough, you know, diversity in the room that if you wanted to talk to somebody that wasn't, you know, from the old country, your old country, then you had to try with, Hebrew, and they right. were also trying with Hebrew, and they had a harder time of it because not everybody, obviously, spoke their language, whether that's Spanish or Russian or have you. Sure. Um, that was a, a really important start for a few months uh, to actually go to Hebrew, and then the beauty was that if, after those, after that Olpan, the uh, the pro project Osma program called again and said, "Look, we're done with the kibbutz track. We still need somebody." but it's a little bit better, you know, like the higher position, it's more of a coordinating position. You'll live in Jerusalem, and uh, do you, are you interested? And by then I was like, I'm absolutely interested in that, and that was a lesson that sometimes you, you have to say no to things that you think you have to say yes to, um, but it serves you well. There's something, you know, you have to be, you have to do what you need to do and not uh, not be swayed by something that even looks attractive just because it's is more expedient at that moment. Is that Israel advice or is that just life that's, advice? That's Israel and life advice. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's both. Yeah. Um, so you take that position. So I take that position. Um, and it's as, great. As some sort of coordinator for Project Israel. Absolutely wonderful. <laughs> um, we had the... So by that, the, 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 the this Project Otsma program had, I think back then, 120 participants from all over America who were spread out all over Israel uh, at their partnership 2000 project renewal cities what have you so from you know literally Kirat Shmone to mm -hmm. Eilat and every place in between yeah and our job was to to be in touch with these people to go and visit them 
to set up the logistics and organize the programs and the conferences and the buses, logistically speaking, you know, to when we're doing a, trying to distribute all these people to all their places after a Yom Kippur seminar in Jerusalem or something along these lines. So that job entailed, uh, together with a lot of very special people who worked, uh, not a lot, but a few very special people who worked with me in that position, that, that job entailed driving all over the country and 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 conferring and con- you know having a conversation with the participants to see how they're doing and helping them set up uh, work placements, internships, work in the ganim, work in the schools, work in wherever. And so I had to use Hebrew. I had to get to know the country. I had to. I, I was get to know, had to. I was privileged to get to know and to drive all over the country and see every small city and you know what have you throughout and and weird neighborhood throughout the entire country and i absolutely loved it it was we spent more time on the road certainly than i do now i uh and there was less traffic back then so it was really really a lot of fun well this is interesting to me because you said you had to you had to use hebrew but it it actually was even deeper than that i think because you're basically the advocate for these participants and so you're not just learning Hebrew and using Hebrew, you're using Israeli. Like you're using your elbows, you're, you're making things happen for people because they need you. Right. So, I mean, that must have been unbelievably formative for you as well. I think it was. Um, there were definitely, you know, I wasn't the only one, so that was, that was good because there, there was, <laughs> there was uh, a guy named Gil Sarig who was the director and, you know, he's Israeli, so he could, when he wanted to push... Things got pushed. That was awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, we were out there in the field and we were trying to solve problems, find a refrigerator for somebody. And they had, you know, they had people in the field too that were supposed to help them. But we did, yeah, we we did a lot of that. And but generally, people, you know, on the, you know, if you're going to get helping hands in a school or uh, in a Kfarnoa or something like this, you, you're usually like, okay, great. You know, they can teach English. They can, you know, uh, do as necessary. Um, so just a great transition. It was a great trans- role for you. It was a fantastic transition role um, because I got to know the country, and I wasn't necessarily set on living only in Jerusalem. It was just the only place I really knew. Yeah. Um, so to be able to gain a sense of beauty and 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 see what it's like a little bit elsewhere, to see what apartments look like, literally everywhere, right. you know, and uh, not such great apartments, but apartments, you yeah. bigger than better than what I had probably in Jerusalem. Well, not in that particular instance, but um, very, you know, just to see it. And yes, to meet Israelis and to work with Israelis and to try to get things done, even on the telephone, which was in Hebrew was, you know, you're sweating at the end of that call. You're literally like, oh my God, did they understand? And what did I just say? And what did, what did he say? You know, did I miss something? Did, you know, yeah, next right. week we'll do it in four months time. No, it needs to be done today. So there, you, you definitely, you know, cut your teeth on the experience of being in a different country, working in a different language, and people relying upon you to do it. Yeah. And sometimes it didn't work out. I remember one <laughs> specific instance in, uh, of a, the Project Cosma was connected to the federation system in America, um, which is my least um, favorite part of that job, because you know we're in Israel and we're trying to get things done, and we have the best interests of all the students in mind, but, but one very prominent head of federation felt that we hadn't done enough for their very lovely uh, participants uh, in Beit Sha'an. And he laid into me, red-faced, and he was in Israel at the time, red-faced and all, and basically screaming at me. And wow. I, I was, of course, appalled. 
and I was like, I know your their money, but I felt it was whatever. I, I, I it was a big turnoff. I felt it was it was very uh, un, inappropriate, um, and I thought to myself like, you know what? Nobody's kowtowing. No one's doing what they're doing because you're going to get mad or not mad. If they don't have, are they starving? No. Are they homeless? No. Are they, could they be more comfortable? Yes. Are we going to take care of it? Yes. Maybe we took care of it a little bit faster, but it was all going to be taken care of to begin with. Sure. But it sort of highlighted a difference um, and a part of the working in the Jewish world that is also not my favorite of, you know, Baruch Hashem, there are, there are people with means, and, and those people with means are big supporters of everything that goes on in Israel, and that's wonderful. But, uh, you know, we're people. Everyone, you know, we're, we're, we're all Tzalem Elohim. We're all, we all deserve respect. And nobody, you know, unless somebody's trying to uh, sabotage something on purpose, you, you, you work on a professional basis with somebody to, get, to solve the problem. And the moment that I had a head of a federation, of a prominent federation, yell at me, literally, get angry, red face, I was like, that, I was, that was a big turnoff. So was that the beginning of the end of, of this No, role? that wasn't the was beginning of the story. That was just, that was just a part of the story. With, yeah. you know, not everything worked out all the time, and, right. and you sometimes, uh, you know, chataf, <laughs> okay, so, so to speak. So, so let's sort of fast forward, but not fast forward, because... I want you to talk about what you do now, mm-hmm. but I also want to understand how you got from that kind of role to what you're doing now. Okay. So I'll say one other thing. Before I yeah, became, sure. uh, so within Otsma, uh, within a year or so, the national, the director left and I became the director of the program. So Gil left? Gil left and I became the director of the program. And that too was was also sort of a, you know, a Fitza Madriga felt different. Mm-hmm. It was a different thing. That's probably why I was sitting in front of that executive director <laughs> of the Federation. That actually was why. Um, uh, but prior to that, uh, since there had never been a non-Sabra uh, director of this program, um, they said, listen, uh, Eric, you need to go in the Army. And I was like, look. If I get drafted, I get drafted. That's one thing. I was 26 years old, I guess, when I came. Um, At this point, you've already made Aliyah official? I had, by that time, yes. I made, okay. So I had one year that I didn't make Aliyah, and mm-hmm. I changed mm-hmm. my status in the August after that. So I was, I was an Ole. Mm-hmm. I hadn't heard anything from the Army. I wasn't going to, what am I going to, you know, kick a sleeping dog? Like, no, it's, <laughs> uh, if they draft me, if they draft me, it's fine. What but year the, is this? This is in 1993. Okay. Uh, four, probably. Okay. Okay. So... Um, but, you know, this Project Otsuma had to lay leadership in Israel and in America. Very well-connected people, including uh, General Yoram Yair, who's named Yaya, who's a, war, who's a Yom Kippur war hero. Right. Um, he was involved. He was sort of on his way out involved when I was there, but he, his aura, you know, was there. But the bottom line is, when somebody from the lay leadership needed to get somebody drafted, it wasn't a problem whatsoever. So within no time, it was like, next week you're going in. It was like February <laughs> of, I don't know when... Next week, I was like, really? So I was like, okay. So I went in and did uh, three, three months of, of Shlav Bet, as it's called. Um, you know, one and a half months of, of, of how do you call it, Tiranut, like basic right. training, which was both annoying and interesting. I learned how much you can do in 15 seconds. It's really, you can do a lot, you know. <laughs> and, 
There were also a lot of Russians there. There's a whole mix of, of humanity. So Hebrew became even more important. And of course, you have uh, officers barking at you in Hebrew. And so that's important as well. And then a month and a half of uh, guard duty um, at Kelamid, at the Megiddo jail, which was a beautiful area in the springtime until it became really, really hot. Um, and that's also, you you know, you have responsibility. You uh, just, just last week or whenever there was, there was a jailbreak. So we didn't, sure. you know, I don't think we were expecting that really, but we were on the perimeter of, of that jail. And, uh, and it was a very interesting experience that it, it, you know, it brought you a little bit into feeling like, you know what? I'm also Israel. I did the army, not what my son is doing, what other people are doing, obviously, but you got a sense of what's going on. You got a sense of also what you can do without, how, how much you don't actually need, and taking advantage of, of, um, of, of the of what you do have. I remember complaining to my dad, "It's so boring here. I'm going crazy," and he had been in the army as well, American army. And he's and all instead of commiserating with me, all he says, "Wow, do I wish I had the time that I had in the army? Oh, I would read books, I would do this, and all of a sudden, instead of getting like a oh, you're poor thing, you know, I hope it's okay." He sort of lit a, a light in my head and said, "Wait a minute, okay, I'm stuck here. That's all there is to it." So the next time I was home, I brought a slew of books, and basically, you know, when I wasn't sleeping or guarding, I was reading, and I made the most of it, and it was fine in the end. And then after that, we did uh, Milouim and so on. So that that was a, also a, a, an interesting step along the way in terms of Aliyah and becoming more integrated with Israel. So after, well, towards the end of this job, I, I met who would become my wife, Isha, who would become my wife. Um, Great name for a woman. Nahon, it is, isn't it? It's uh, very descriptive. Um, <laughs> And so that was a whole other stage that, you know, of my life. How'd you meet? Uh, like I said, this, this Project Kozma was connected to the Jewish Federation. So we had, uh, uh, back then, you, we could send documents to our counterparts. We had a, a director of the program also in America. And we could send documents to, the, to those people through the diplomatic pouch, which was better than FedEx. So every week we could drop off information uh, at the at the Jewish Agency building, the main Jewish Agency building. We were working at, we were working in Tapio, the main right. Jewish Agency building is in the center center of the city, and we could drop off information there so that it um, got there overnight. Um, and one day the woman who usually does this was out sick, and so I went and did it. And then I and and I had a boss who was also in that building and. And there was a woman working with my boss, a new woman working with my boss that I had never met before. And uh, so I dropped off the goods. And then I had, uh, the next day I tried to, uh, over the the 24 hours after that, I tried to make inquiries like, does anybody know this person who's working for my new boss? And, you know, she sure had a lot of rings on her finger, but I had no idea, like, which one is which? (laughs) I I didn't know how to decipher. what uh, What does that even mean? She what just do you mean? happened to have been wearing a lot of rings? Yeah, whatever, jewelry, I don't know. <laughs> okay. Like, I whatever. even if you wear a ring, I don't know which thing, I don't know. Got Didn't it. know. What they might mean, what they don't mean. Exactly. Okay. You know, that was the only thing I could work on. <laughs> um, and I didn't really get any firm information, but I decided the next day, I was out, even though the person was back and could have dropped off the materials for me, but I decided I was going to go back. And uh, I went back, and we uh, decided that we would meet for coffee. Wow. And so Just uh, like that? Just like that. Where's she from? She's originally from the Netherlands. 
from Holland. Wow. Yeah, she has an interesting background as well, Sephardic Dutch background that literally can trace back all the way to Spain and through Italy and so on. Um, but grew up, uh, you know, in a very small town in Holland and not with a tremendous uh, Jewish background. Um, and has a very interesting story, probably more, definitely more interesting than mine. <laughs> you should also speak to her at some point. It's uh, it's fascinating what she's been able to, what her decisions have been able to mecholel to uh, create within uh, within her family and community. Wow. Yeah. So okay, so so you guys you guys are dating, and you ultimately decide to get married. Where do you settle down? Um, we settled in Beit Zeit. The Moshav Beit Zeit. Um, I had been living she just, was out, li- just outside Jerusalem. Yeah, just outside Jerusalem. She was living in Nachlaot, in a very small apartment. I was living in uh, what's it, like Katamonim or something like that. Um, and we decided on Beit Zeit because we like being outdoors. And um, it was very, very chamud, cute place uh, in that Moshav before it became. You know, it was pretty rich Moshav back then, but today it's, you know, sky yeah, high. Sure. Um, really sweet place, really sweet couple who uh, rented a, the, 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 the place out to us. And we stayed there for a year, two years, I think, two years. Um, and then uh, when she was pregnant with our eldest, we looked around, we're like, this is a very small apartment. This is not going to work. And so then we started looking for where else would we go? And... Um, we ended up in Moshav Mata, which is near, basically between Jerusalem and Beit Shemesh. Right. Um, because there, you could rent a house for the same money that you could rent an apartment in Beit Zayit or Jerusalem. Uh, and so that's where we that's where we went. And uh, we moved back to Jerusalem after that and ended up here in the Beit Daniel. Okay, that is the end of part one for Eric Esses' amazing story. Stay tuned for part two where he'll talk about uh, his life today, family, children, the Jewish people, and of course, the rapid fire questions. See you soon.